Unlikely governing coalition emerges in Israel. Has the Netanyahu era come to an end? We'll discuss that and much more with our special guest, former Israeli ambassador to the United States, Ron Dermer. Part one of two episodes. Don't push pause. You're listening to Jewish Insiders Limited Liability Podcast. And welcome back to episode 16 of Jewish Insiders Limited Liability Podcast. I'm Rich Goldberg, joined by my partner, Jared Bernstein. This will be the first of two episodes with our featured guest, Ron Dermer. Ron Dermer served as Israel's ambassador to the United States from 2013 to 2021. Previously, he served as Israel's Minister of Economic Affairs in the United States and as Senior Advisor to Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Mr. Dermer also co-authored The Case for Democracy with Natan Sharansky. Ambassador Dermer, thanks for joining us. Uh, looking at the news of the week out of Israel, a coalition government is reportedly has been formed. There, there is apparent. There is apparently some news, <laughs> and uh, it, we Indeed. we try to keep up with it. But I think the news uh, of the week so far is the new coalition government uh, emerging uh, deal between Abtali Bennett, Yair Lapid, and other factions uh, without uh, Liku, without Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, for the first time in many years. Do you think this government actually passes its confidence vote between now and June 13th, the deadline? Well, it's not a government until it passes its confidence vote. But do I think that the parties will make it to the finish line? Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's an interesting question. It's going to be close. Uh, it may you may not have a government sworn in by about another 10, 11 days until a government can be sworn in because of different quirks and how it works in Israel. And they have to submit the coalition agreements to the Knesset, which I believe is in session only on Monday. And then the Speaker of the Knesset has up to a week. And the Speaker of the Knesset is from the Likud party, so he doesn't have an interest to rush this thing through as quickly as possible. So I think he can delay that maximum up into a week. So it may not be till a week from Monday that you'd have an opportunity to actually swear in the government. Now, the people who just signed this deal are trying to expedite that. Maybe they're thinking about getting rid of the Speaker of the Knesset. So there's all sorts of maneuvering that's going on in Israel. Uh, but I, I think they have a good chance. I, I don't know if they're if they're going to get there. Uh, it, it remains to be seen. I, I would put the odds of better than 50-50, but I, I can't put an exact number on it. Ambassador, there's a saying uh, that there are no second acts in American politics, uh, and and we've seen we've seen with Prime Minister Netanyahu that there are very much second acts in Israeli politics. Is this the end of the Netanyahu era, or is there a potential third act for Bibi Netanyahu? Yeah, well, I don't I don't think it's uh, it's the end. Assuming, look, assuming that if the government is not sworn in, then I think Netanyahu is back in the driver's seat. If the government is sworn in, what the prime minister is saying is he's going to head the opposition. And the opposition here is is pretty big. It will be a minimum, it looks like, a 53 out of the 120. And it's, more importantly, very coherent. Sometimes you have opposition parties that are sort of across the spectrum, and you have to unite people on the far left and in the far right. Well, now that type of incoherence would be in the government if that is sworn in, whereas the opposition would be very, very coherent. 
Uh, and it's not clear how long that such a government can last because they basically disagree on everything except for the fact that they don't want Prime Minister Netanyahu to be prime minister. I mean, that's that's the one glue that kind of holds the coalition together. Now, that's fine when you're out of office, but when you're in office and you have to start making decisions over various different issues and you can't agree basically on anything because the world views are so um, are so dramatically divergent. It's very hard for me to see how that's going to be a, um, a coalition that is going to work effectively at addressing the problems Israel faces. Um, so, yeah, you could you could definitely have a third act. And in Israel, you know, you have second acts and third acts and four act, fourth acts. We the prime minister came back to be prime minister, as as I'm sure, you know, Jared, from 96 to 99 was his first uh, tenure as prime minister. And now he's been prime minister since 2009. It's been a 12 year run together more than 15 years and is the longest serving prime minister. Ben-Gurion himself came back um, from a brief stint where he was out. That was a different age in Israeli politics because it was kind of the domination of a one-party rule then. Uh, but Yitzhak Rabin also came back. He was a prime minister for a brief period of time in the middle in the mid-70s, and then he came back about 17 years later. So, look, he's, he's by far uh, the most popular politician within Israel. Uh, one of the things he was hoping to do, and, and maybe it will still happen, I don't put the chances very high, but it's to have a direct election. Meaning instead of going to new Knesset elections, just have a direct election, let anybody run against them, and then we could have a decisive victory that way. Because in our system, our parliamentary system, where you have so many different parties, I think we've got 12 parties in the Knesset, eight parties would be in this new coalition, which is... Phew, you know, if, if, you, if you think you've got a problem with your two-party system in America, try 12. See how that works out for you. Uh, so, And, and one, of, one of those parties, I mean, historically, is an Arab party, uh, you know, with Mansour Abbas and the Ra'am party. I mean, You that, have, two, you have still... two different Arab parties that are there. No, but the point that I'm making is, in our system, the way that what, who the voters want as prime minister does not necessarily come to pass through their Knesset votes. For instance, it, one party, the party that has kind of made the biggest shift from one side to the other is Naftali Bennett's party, uh, the Yamina party. And Bennett, according to this new coalition deal, if it happens, he would be slated to be prime minister. His voters wanted Netanyahu uh, overwhelmingly, I think about 85, 90 percent of his voters. And according to polls that came out now, about 70 percent of his own voters. Now, he didn't have a lot of them because he only had seven seats, but about 70 percent of his voters did do not want him to go into this coalition. So, you know, that that's the problem with our electoral system when it comes to a prime minister, where you have people voting for various different parties and you don't get the straight shot at voting for a prime minister. We had that in, in not, between 1996 and 2001. We had two elections that were double ballot elections in 96 and 99. And then we had a single ballot prime minister election with Sharon if, if you recall, I don't know how closely you've been following Israeli politics for how long, but Sharon uh, defeated Barak, and that was only a prime ministerial election. But the problem with that, with that reform that they had done is they wanted to strengthen the hand of the prime minister, but by making him dependent on the Knesset for his rule and essentially having this double ballot system, a lot of people said, well, I voted for Netanyahu, so now I can vote for a smaller party. But you you got to vote for his party to strengthen him in the coalition, in the Knesset. And the same thing would happen. People say, I vote for Barack, so let's vote for some other party. 
So it's unfortunate. I, I think it's very bad um, for Israel. The, uh, it's an inherent political instability. And, you know, we're not Holland in Israel. It's not like uh, we're dealing with some pretty serious issues. No disrespect to uh, the Dutch. But um, given the challenges that we face, the security, the diplomatic challenges, um, which are enormous in Israel, and the amount of time that an Israeli prime minister has to spend on on security-related issues, to have to deal with this inherent political stability has been very, very bad um, uh, for the country historically. And I think we've succeeded despite this crazy political system. It's great for representation. Everybody has a seat at the table. But it's very, very hard for governance, and it gives small parties enormous control. And here you have the the ultimate where a party that has right now only really six members of the party could actually have a prime ministerial a candidate. Nothing like that has ever happened in Israel. And I, I don't think it, it bodes well for the future. I would hope that in the future, whether it's the next election, that you'd actually have a real agenda of electoral reform in Israel, because it's not going to solve all our problems. You know, we're not going to have peace with the Palestinians if we have electoral reform in Israel, electoral reform. But if I'm thinking about one change in Israel, that is, it's difficult politically, but it's, 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 it's not the most complicated in the world that could actually help address a lot of underlying problems. It's changing the electoral system and strengthening our political uh, uh, stability in Israel. What do you sort of see as a development politically? It's it's positive, negative, neutral that an Arab party that Arabs are willing to sign into a coalition that that you have someone like Mansour Abbas that's led this process, especially in the wake of some of the internal violence and strife we saw in cities in Israel between Arabs and, and Jewish citizens of Israel. Well, I think in terms of the internal challenges that Israel faces, integrating both the ultra-Orthodox and the Israeli Arabs into Israeli society are the two of the most important things. Now, what has happened, unfortunately, is that the Arab political leadership has not really preached the virtues, historically, of integration into Israel. And, and most of their positions have seemed to be set more from what's going on in Ramallah than what's going on, actually, in Israeli Arab towns. And so if this new... Um, uh, figure on the political scene, uh, Abbas, is really focused on improving the lives of Israeli Arabs and integrating them into Israel, uh, then I think that's a positive development overall. Uh, and I, it doesn't, you know, you mentioned the the, the violence that we had, and inner city violence that we had in the last few weeks when the, when the whole confrontation with Gaza exploded. But what was interesting to me is that this was happening on the background, on a background of of a real, it seemed, uh, uptick in the prospects for integration between uh, Arabs and Jews in Israel. And one of the positive outcomes, Rich, of the Abraham Accords that I did not anticipate, it was not on my radar screen, but one of the benefits of the Accords where it seemed to really change relations between Arabs and Jews inside of Israel for the better. It's a very interesting thing that happened. And I think it may be because the nature of the peace was different than the peace with Egypt or Jordan, which was a cold peace, which is certainly better than a hot war. But there was a kind of warmth there and the possibility of Israeli Arabs going to Dubai and people from the Gulf coming to Israel. And I, you could see a positive change that, again, I wasn't anticipating, but it was significant. And then when we had COVID, and, you know, those, you know, Israel, 
uh, and Jared, I assume you know Israel as well. If you go to if you go to a hospital during COVID, or if you're going to an ambulance, and that famous picture of the of the of the Jew and the and the Muslim praying next to the ambulance that sort of went viral around the entire world, there was a sense of real uh, an era of goodwill between Jews and Arabs within Israel. And that was set back because of that violence. And I'm not so sure that that is a coincidence, because I think there's a very I I don't know what the percentage is. I don't know if it's 30 percent, 50 percent, 70 percent, 80 percent of the Israeli Arabs would like to integrate. I hope it's 80. I hope it's higher. I don't know what the number is, but there is definitely an element that doesn't want that integration. And that's true within Israel. And it definitely players outside of Israel. Iran definitely doesn't want to see that. Hamas doesn't want to see it. All sorts of radical forces. So it may not be a coincidence that at a time when you're seeing this this path towards integration, really pe- people really running down that path, that all of a sudden this broke out and seems to have taken us back. And, and I, hope, I hope that this period that we have will lead to a, a, a kind of leap forward in relations between Jews and Arabs, regardless of what happens in the politics. Because I think that's very important for uh, uh, for Israel, um, and would be a great blessing if we could. You know, p- people thought historically Ben Gurion thought that the Israeli Arabs would be a bridge between Israel and the Arab world, and and that didn't happen. And it turned out that I think this is what I saw after the Abraham Accords that sort of peace with a broader Arab world was starting to affect relations between Arabs and Jews with I- Israel. And I'm a I, I believe that's a very positive thing, and I hope it continues. Ambassador, one last uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu question. I promise I'm not the Democrat who's obsessed with Bibi Netanyahu, despite what Rich may think. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll play a clip from one in, uh, shortly. Uh, <laughs> um, Ambassador, <laughs> and, uh, what does, um, if anything, this, this you know, new government uh, pretend for Prime Minister Netanyahu's legal situation? I don't think it'll make any difference. I mean, we're you know, Jerry, we're a real country with a real court system that's independent. Um, it, it might actually, you know, this might be a sound a little contrarian, but if it is the case that Netanyahu is is for at least a period of time is going to be the head of the opposition, then people might actually look at the case in a, uh, based on the facts. Right, right. And, and it, it might actually be disconnected from the politics where sort of every decision people are thinking about the case because – while this has been happening over the last couple of weeks, I don't know how closely you follow events in Israel, but one of these cases, the one that's right now is in the spotlight. I mean, th- this seems to be unraveling before our eyes, and there's not a lot of attention on it because of the politics, because Hamas and Gaza, like one of the star witnesses of the most important cases, it doesn't look good for the prosecution. Now, I don't know what that means in the end, but it might be that it could uh, lower the pressure and that, you know, he'll 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 definitely have. I mean, prime minister is somebody who can I can tell you from experience has no problem working 18 hours, 20 hours, 24 hours a day all the time. But if he's not running the country at the same time, he he'll probably spend a lot more time uh, focusing on it. And and, uh, and I don't think at the end of the day, it's going to make that much of a difference uh, just just because we do have an independent court system. Um, and I'm, I'm confident that, that, uh, uh, that, you know, the prime minister is having his day in court and I'm sure that will continue. And that maybe he can get a, a more fair shake now that everything is not political. Okay. That makes sense. From the public. I don't know about, you know, the judges are the judges, but I think from the public, uh, maybe I, I, I would hope so. Yeah. I would hope so that they would look at all the facts. Indeed. Yeah. 
I, I have one last question uh, on the electoral politics before we shift gears, as Jared would say, uh, and, and that is uh, Naftali Bennett, right? If, if this coalition uh, agreement holds and there's a government he's to serve the first two years as prime minister, uh, would be the first prime minister, as we understand it, to wear a yarmulke, to wear a kippah. Uh, he was once Netanyahu's chief of staff, uh, an evolution, uh, obviously, to this date. You know him well. What should people who are listening uh, know about Naftali Bennett? What should we expect from him if he actually does become prime minister? Well, I, I don't know Naftali that well because the period that he was working with the prime minister, I was actually economic at the Shane Washington during, during those years. So I never really worked directly with him. I had, you know, meetings, a few meetings with him over the years when he was in different capacities. He was an economic minister and then he was defense minister for four or five months. Um, I think the issue is when you're a prime minister in Israel, governing is really hard um, and you really need a strong base of support. You need a strong base of support within your coalition. And generally speaking, prime ministers tend to have their parties about half the coalition. Uh, and that's been the case in Netanyahu in the last uh, 12 years. So sort of half the ministers will come, you know, from his party. In the last case, when and you had this kind of hybrid government with Gantz, it was sort of half from his political side and half from the other side. But generally speaking, you need a broad base of political support. And you need that to be backed by a broad base of public support in order to govern effectively, because the power of a prime minister, if various different parties and uh, individuals in those governments are, you know, are going off the reservation a little bit, is to is to not only enforce coalition discipline, but also the very threat that, you know, they could be thrown out. You could go to an election that is always present, is always there. And I think that the challenge that Bennett would have if this deal goes through is I don't see he has no political support. I uh, mean, his party is now six, might be five, maybe four by the time he, you know, he goes in if it happens. And that's we've never seen anything like that. I mean, the, I remember a few years ago uh, in 2001, Sharon became prime minister. He had 19 seats in the Likud, so about triple the size of what Naftali uh, has now. And he couldn't govern that coalition. And in fact, he did not aim, have a coherent policy for a year and a half. And we were, before Israel launched Operation Defensive Shield, remember there was, there was the terror that started in the wake of Camp David in 2000. About five or six months later, Sharon took over. Netanyahu, at the time, just to refresh your memory, he refused to run for prime minister. He would have won that election. But the reason why he refused is that the Knesset did not disband itself because he wanted a fresh mandate from the public. It would have been a huge shift to the right in Israeli politics, and it would have enabled him to govern the way that he wanted to govern. Instead, there was only an, an election for prime minister. Sharon won that overwhelmingly. He got the highest percentage ever. That's, I think it was 62 percent of the vote uh, in Israel. But that did not translate into parliamentary power. And so it took him from February, it took him 14 months until we launched Operation Defensive Shield. That's a long time. And it was a lot of terror attacks. And one of the reasons why he didn't implement that policy, he was just constantly being undermined by a Knesset that didn't actually reflect where the will of the people are. So I only say that because Sharon couldn't do it with 19 seats. And he was a very experienced politician by that by that time. To do it with six seats is very hard. Now, occasionally, 
you can if you lose support in the public and you have a strong political base, then you can navigate a little bit. The, the recent example was Ayrd Olmert. Ayrd Olmert, after the 2006 Second Lebanon War, his support completely collapsed within the Israeli public. But that government lasted three years because his party still had the it was the strongest party. So imagine a situation which could easily happen where you have a prime minister of Israel who has very little support within the public because Bennett's support among the right has has completely collapsed. Whatever was there before now is, you know, sort of totally gone. The left side of Israel's political spectrum, they're happy that Bennett is helping them oust Netanyahu, but they're not supporters of Bennett. So you you don't really see that he has the public support. So if you combine no public support and no political sort of soldiers to help you govern, I, I think it's very difficult. He may be an extremely talented uh, individual, but when you don't have you know, a general with no soldiers and no support on the outside, very hard to see how he's going to effectively uh, govern, even if he had the right policies. And, and on some issues, and maybe we'll talk about this, some big issues, the ones that kind of interest maybe your listeners, which are not necessarily the internal domestic issues within Israel, but, you know, vis-a-vis Iran or the Palestinians or the other big issues that, you know, capture the imagination of people outside of Israel. It's totally incoherent within that government. So Bennett will have one position. The people will have another. You know, Meretz will have a third. The Israeli Arab Party will have a fourth. And so it's very hard for me to see a coherent policy on virtually any other issue. The glue that's holding it together is only the fact that they want to oust Netanyahu. There's nothing else there. We'll pause our interview with former Ambassador Ron Dermer right here. Stay tuned for episode 17, where we'll go into further detail on issues including the Iran nuclear deal, how the Biden administration is shaping up on Israel policy, and a response to our previous interview last episode with Ben Rhodes. A lot of interesting information there in this interview today. Very timely with the coalition agreement in Israel. We'll see how some of these predictions play out, Jared. But for now, if you have any comments, questions, show ideas, and tips, send us an email at podcast at jewishinsider.com. Follow us on Twitter at J.I. Podcast. And remember to follow and subscribe to the Limited Liability Podcast on your podcast listening medium of choice. Until next time, this is Limited Liability Podcast. Thanks for listening.